right, here we are again. And welcome to those that are looking in on the broadcast and the video here today. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to continue on where we left off. And last week we did the, um, the parable as the Lord's and answered the, uh, um, the religious leaders as to what authority he had and such. And then he asked them a question and he uh, was going to bring out some parables to them. And uh, we're going to go through those. It's interesting to note that we're in the, that week of the, the triumphal entry, the mundane and the cross, uh, 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 four days later. Um, that uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in there, there's so much stuff going on. But we're seeing here, uh, we're going to look at some, uh, some things here that's taking place, some of the things that the Lord's doing in this time. Um, let's have a word of prayer first. Our Father, we just thank you now, Lord. Guide us, Lord. Would you please put this together for us and help us with it? And we just thank you for your grace. And thank you for all things in Jesus' name. And so he's going to deal with these characters now. For a few chapters we have from chapter 21, 22, and 23 starts out, the Lord speaking to the multitudes, but it ends up addressing the same characters again. Uh, the Bible tells us it's the, uh, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians are all going to come at the Lord just before the cross, eh? just before that. And he's going to deal with them. And we have some tremendous, tremendous amounts of teaching that the Lord gives to uh, the crowds, to the disciples, and the multitudes. And, but we're just going to go through it one bit at a time. I guess we're not in any uh, great hurry here. And uh, I'm just trying to sort some things out. I write things down as I'm going, and sometimes I forget what I'm supposed to do with that. All right. So we want to look at, in chapter 21, we want to look at uh, from verse 33. Uh, I don't think we'll cover all this today to the end of the chapter 46 as the Lord brings out this uh, uh, another parable to these ones. But before we get into that, we want to just back up and just take a moment and look at these individuals that he's dealing with. Uh, sometimes it helps us to, to uh, look at the, the groups, and uh, we'll just do that first of all to see what's going on with them. Before we get into here and see this parable that he's bringing to them, we want to look at the political and religious parties uh, of the day. The priests, for example, as it tells us that the chief priest came, and um, in the day of Moses, the function of the priest was of a religious nature only. Okay, so that was a long time before this, wasn't it? So over time, things changed. But after the Babylonian captivity, the power of the state, which had been in the hands of the kings, had been passed into the hands of the priests. You see, they didn't have kings there. There's no king over Israel. Who was, who was the rightful king? It was Joseph. Hey, eh? eh? Yeah. And uh, um, in the time of Jesus, the priests were in charge of civil and religious matters. And uh, they were a carnal group who uh, turned Jesus over for crucifixion. Now, the scribes, we hear about the scribes a lot. They get a lot of, uh, uh, cause a lot of trouble. Sometimes referred to as lawyers. We have lawyers today, but that's different. They were just the lawyers of the laws of God and the Word of God. Eh? 
uh, sometimes referred to as lawyers, um, were the interpreters and teachers of the Old Testament scriptures, because at this point they, they had not, New Testament had not been completed, had it? They just looked to the Old Testament at that time. So these were the ones that taught, uh, they interpreted and taught. Uh, the people held them in very high regard, but they were staunch opponents of the Lord Jesus, weren't they? Then you had the Pharisees, and the word Pharisees means separated, and they were super separated, kind of ultra-separated, weren't they? And uh, this group would not be involved with the political parties of the day, not in any way, shape, or form. They didn't want to be involved with that stuff, but they saw themselves as guardians of the written and the oral law. And I, I think what that refers to is like the Torah and things like that. Some of the things that they had placed uh, in in place of or on top of the Word of God and such, but they were the guardians of, uh, of, of God's Word and such, they figured, I guess. And they would be considered very conservative and would be compared to today to like a modern day uh, a legalist very legalistic, very proud of the outward religious show, but inwardly they were spiritually barren, weren't they? And then we have the Sadducees, another group. Uh, it was a kid's song about that, wasn't it? They're so sad, you see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they were the they were the political party uh, amongst the Jews and were bitter rivals of the Pharisees. Now you keep that in mind because later on we see the two, two groups get together and, uh, and form an alliance against Jesus, okay? And even the, and the Herodians. They'll do anything to uh, uh, discredit the Lord Jesus. And they would be like modern-day liberals, okay? They denied everything. They denied the existence of spirits, the existence of angels. They denied the resurrection. They denied the immortality of the soul. Uh, they were very secular and they uh, did not have any approval by the Lord Jesus. And then you have the Herodians now in this group, and the chapters we mentioned here, you're going to have a, at one point the Pharisees and the Herodians are going to get together. Actually, the Pharisees themselves don't go to, with them to talk to Jesus. They send their disciples to do their dirty work for them. Okay? Um, the Herodians were opposed to any change in the political scene. They derived their name from the Herod family. They saw Jesus as a revolutionary figure coming to change and take away. They liked the way things were, eh? and Jesus condemned them. Then you have the Sanhedrin. The word means, has the idea of sitting together with some kind of a council board altogether. And there's 70 or 72 of them. And they consisted of the chief priests and of the 24 uh, um, priestly courses they would have, and they would have not only them, but they would have the scribes and the elders who, represent, who represented the people. Now the elders are one of the groups that were mentioned as they came to Jesus in this time here. A total of 70 to 72 members, the council uh, administrated any area not covered by Roman law. They could pass a death sentence, but they could not administer it. Um, the Lord Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Stephen all stood before the Sanhedrin Council. Just some things for us to, to note as we look at these guys, and you see as they they start to uh, have some have alliances of some sort, and, you know, getting together against the Lord. It's just amazing. But we see the Lord taking some time with them, and I'm just quite amazed by this. And 
and I, I think this is a thing that we should write over top of all this, and he tells them off, and he tells them off really good at the end there, and such, and these parables, uh, they get it, and he's talking about them, and he's putting them down and telling them off, but he's showing them their error, okay? The truth show what? Set you free. He's bringing the truth to them, but they're not responding. But we do get to see into the heart of God, who is so compassionate, and he takes his time with them. I don't think he raised his voice with them. The Bible says that he's, he's, he's meek. I don't think he did that. That's just my opinion. You can have a different one. That's fine. Um, so we get down to verse 33. The Lord Jesus says uh, here another parable. Well, let's just stop for a minute. That word another, you know, we should do uh, word studies and we should, uh, um, somebody should do a word study and tell people that. And I guess that falls to me. I like doing that. Uh, you know that the word another, as we read it in our English language there, um, there's a couple different words in the original that it could be. And if you were to go to, we're not going to turn there for time's sake right now, but you go to Galatians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where the Apostle Paul is talking to the Galatians. He says, I, I marvel, you're, you're so, so soon removed from the, from the gospel to another gospel, which is not another. Well, what do you mean? Either it's another or it's not. He says, it's not another. It's two different words. The first one there is the word heteros, which means a different, completely different gospel. He says, you've been moved away from the gospel of Christ to a completely different one, which is not the same as the gospel of Christ. But we have here the word alos, which means the same, another parable of the same kind right here. Okay? He says, there was a certain householder, and I think about that, you know, this is a parable, and so... It, if the Lord Jesus says there was a certain individual, do you think there was? Yeah. So he can take, this is a real life story that he's using and bringing this. And the idea of the parable, and some people say well, it's to hide a truth. I don't think so at all. Um, some, some just didn't understand them. But to help people understand the truth of a thing, you sometimes bring out uh, kind of like a metaphor, similes and stuff like that, and bring out a parable. It means to place alongside so they can see and understand, oh, okay, I get it, I see that now. And they did see it, and they got angry about it. We'll deal with that later. Um, here, another parable. There was a certain householder. So there was a guy that this happened, but you got to remember that this whole parable here, this whole thing, this whole account or story, whatever you want to call it, is about and is referencing and symbolizing, is that the word? Uh, um, what was was taking place with the Jewish people as far as God and God's Israel and God's people and the people that were placed over them to watch over them and to teach them and such who are these characters who are coming to Jesus and giving him trouble all the time, eh? They were supposed to look after the people and teach the word of God truthfully and so on and so forth, but they weren't doing it. Okay, well, We understand that and they got it after a bit. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard. He planted the vineyard. He put this hedge around it. He digged the wine press in it. He built the tower and he lent it out. Okay, a lot of work went into this. A lot of work. God placed a lot of work into uh, bringing the Jewish people out, bringing them as a nation in Israel, all, all that whole thing. And he lent it out. And he went into a far country. 
and I wrote a little note there. Chaos reigns while he's away. Look at the world today, eh? Look at the world today. But he's coming back. That householder's coming back someday, and this whole earth is his, isn't it? This is, whole earth is his vineyard, and he's going to set it straight, and it's not going to be a pretty thing, and he's not going to be the one uh, in distress this time. Not going to be one nailed to a cross and bleeding and so on and so forth. He's going to come back and deal with uh, those that oppose him. And it won't be very, very nice to read that in the book of Revelation. And I noticed that through this, through these uh, uh, parables and such as he's talking to them, to help them understand who, uh, who this is for, he refers to them, there's six, I counted 16 times. He talks about they and them, ye and you. So there's no mistaking who he's talking to and who he's talking about. Okay, it's these guys. So this householder goes into the far country and lends out this, uh, uh, the, whole, the whole thing to make, to grow the grapes and wine presses and the whole thing, eh? Verse 34. And when the, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. Okay, that's natural, because that was part of the plan, that was part of the deal, eh? They, they didn't keep their part of it, but the part of the thing was they had a, a, an agreement, you do this, you work for me, and I'll come back sometime and we'll straight settle up. Work for me while I'm away. You know, I, we look at the songs we were singing this morning, and they all had a kind of uh, a theme. Don often points this out. They all had a, a kind of a theme. It was about our working for the Lord, and standing for the Lord, and doing for the Lord and such. And while he's away, what we should be doing, and what he expects of us, there was agreement made, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. We gave our lives to him when we got saved. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one, killed one, and stoned another. You know, today that the servants of God are mistreated, Christians are mistreated all over the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in uh, some foreign countries, the um, persecution of Christians is on the rise. Um, you can almost write another uh, book of martyrs. With no regard, no regard for the husbandman, or rather the owner, the householder, no, and no regard for God. Eh? mistreating God's servants, no regard for them at all, not knowing God. And one of the biggest problems that we have in society, in the world today, is that there's no fear of God. Because mm -hmm. there's no knowledge of God, very little of it it seems, but there's no fear of God. Because if they knew who God is and what He's like, yes, He's kind, yes, He's gentle, yes, He's compassionate, yes, God is good, infinitely. He also won't put up with nonsense for very long. Okay? Verse 36, And again he sent uh, other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. And we read the prophets that were sent to Israel and such. They were, they were mistreated, weren't they? They were mistreated and put to death and everything. Eh? And last of all, he sent unto them his son, unto them, saying, They will reverence my son, and there's the problem. Okay. No respect for, no knowledge of, and no fear of God. 
And isn't it amazing? Isn't it just amazing that the name Jesus Christ is one of the most common curse words there is? How is that? Because the devil gets in people's heads. If you don't believe that, you just listen to yourself curse sometimes if you're not saved, and if you're saved, you shouldn't be doing that. Just listen to people. That's the devil working in people's lives to bring Jesus Christ down to the lowest of the lows. To make Jesus Christ, to make God an expression of disgust. Isn't that awful? Isn't that something? But that's what's taking place. And that's what's taking place here. And he's trying to get that across to them. And we see it still going on today. And the husbandmen saw the son and they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us, let us kill him. Just, like, just let, let us kill him. To take a life. Did they never hear? What happened way back? Um, if you read the, uh, read the timeline of uh, Adam, and I forget how it goes. They lived a long time, some of these people, and, and Noah. And they lived a long time, and they could tell people for hundreds and hundreds of years of what God is like and how, how this happened and how the fall took place, how the flood happened and all these things. And what happens over time is people forget, and then the kids aren't taught, and so on and so forth. Eh? And look at the mess we're in today. Just, to, just like that, let, let us kill him. I guess it should bother us. It should bother us somewhat when we watch our, our shows and stuff. And you see this kind of thing. It's just like every day. You know, I think it, it's desensitizing people. You know, desensitizing people. And let's seize on his inheritance. Kill him and steal. No fear of God. No knowledge of God. Money is everything to them, and power and prestige. And they caught him, the son, and cast him out of the vineyard as Jesus Christ was taken out of Jerusalem to Golgotha's hill. And they slew him. They hung him on that cross, nailed him to it. And you want to read, uh, I'm going to take the time right here, but you write it down and read uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 26, 27, and 28. It talks about uh, all the Gentiles and the Israelites and all the rest of them that did God's uh work what God wanted to be done. Okay? Jesus Christ went to the cross. The Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, came to this world, did all those miracles that are recorded here for us so that we read this and see, yes, this truly is the Son of God. This is God come to us. And went to that cross and was nailed on the cross for your sins, for mine, for everybody's sins. Because we're all sinners. We know it. We have imputed to our account the sins of Adam. We have an old nature that causes us to commit sins. And he says, you can't come, you can't get here where God is in that state. You can't, you've got to get cleaned up. And Jesus went to the cross and paid for the sins of every person of all time. That's a, that's a, we've talked about how big a load that must be, eh? All the sins of all people of all time. And it took God manifest in the flesh to pay for it on a cross died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day to prove, to show, yes, he indeed is the Son of God, and that death has been defeated, and sin has been paid for. Amen. Because the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But Jesus Christ defeated the whole thing. Amen? Amen. 
And now God says, will you believe this? Will you accept this? Will you trust in my Son? Will you put your faith in my Son, in Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, and you'll be declared righteous and justified, just as if you never sinned. Isn't that an amazing thing, folks? That God went to all that work that we could be free, that we could be with Him. And they caught Him and cast Him out of the vineyard and slew Him. When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will He do to those husbandmen? So Jesus turns it around, He said, tells them this, this parable, and He turns it around to them, He says, what do you think should happen to them? Okay? The same kind of thing is, remember, Nathan went to David, King David uh, had that uh, uh, adulterous uh, uh, affair, let's just put it too lightly, with Bathsheba, and there's a child born of that union, and he has her husband killed, and he causes the enemies of God to blaspheme by doing this, and on and on and on, and after the child's born, Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him this parable, the story of this fellow that had this lamb, and then this rich guy comes along and took the lamb and so from him. He says, what do you think should be done? He says, that guy should be killed no, or whatever. He says, you read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. And Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. Thou art the man, David. You did this. David had pronounced judgment on himself right at that point. And the Lord Jesus brings this parable out, and they and they. He asked them, what do you think should be done? Uh, verse 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. So he's getting them to say, to understand the thing and to say and pronounce judgment upon themselves, basically. It's just helping them to understand the position they're in. Now, the Lord Jesus never hurt anyone he never lifted a hand or against them. He did speak words sometimes that were, you know, very harsh. But he was usually, I guess, very uh, um, authoritative in his speech. But he just used the, the words to bring them around to this point. Verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, that's the priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the whole works of them. He says unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures? <laughs> Wouldn't that get them? Eh? Did you never read in the scriptures? They, they were the ones that were standing up and say, we tell you what the scripture says. We know all about God and you follow us. He says, did you never read in the scriptures? That's Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And of course, he's referring to himself, that cornerstone upon which the kingdom of God is built. Amen? Amen. Built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Where are we here? Therefore, I say unto you, therefore, say I unto you, I'm saying this to you. There's such authority there. Because he's the one, he's, he's the, the, the stone he, he, did you ever read this? And of course they've read it. And if they never got it, they got it right there at that point. I say, say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. 
He says, you're done. You're bankrupt. You're spiritually bankrupt. You're not worthy of standing up and saying you speak for God, etc., etc. Um, given to a nation. Now, that's a little puzzling. Uh, you could say, does he mean like the Gentiles? Not just, not the unsaved, but maybe to the believers? The word right there, um, nation, is the uh, ethnos. Ethnos. It simply means the multitude or simply of people. It could be of believers. It could be the church, couldn't it? It could be the church given to, anyway, anybody but them, okay? And whosoever shall fall on this stone, and whosoever shall fall on this stone will be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder. Now you want to write this down, Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the uh, statue, and so on and so forth, and David give, David. Daniel gives him the, the Lord gives to Daniel the interpretation and he tells him about it. And at the end of it, this stone cut out, not by hands, comes and smashes the whole thing to pieces. Eh? And that's a picture, again, of the Lord Jesus. But he says, whosoever shall fall upon this stone. Eh, that's kind of strange, isn't it? If this stone falls upon you, you're going to be ground to powder. The stone is Jesus Christ, the rock. Eh? But whoever falls upon him will be broken. That's like when I, I think this might uh, I'm looking at it. You don't have to agree with this. When you come to the Lord, you get saved. You're kind of broken, aren't you? It's like you're at the end of yourself, and you're giving up yourself. You're giving up my sin, everything I am, all that I am, Lord. And you're broken. But a bruised reed, he'll not break, eh? We have a great, great Savior. Verse 45. I didn't think we'd get this far. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, now he's not done. Because if you look at chapter 22, verse 1, he spoke unto them again by parables. We're not done yet. But anyway, I mean, this morning we are, but the Lord Jesus wasn't done with them. Uh, when they heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. There we go. There's something right there. The first step. You see, the Lord Jesus, we look over all, over top of all this stuff, we see the goodness of God and the mercy of God coming even to his antagonists, to those that are going to kill him, that hate him, but yet he's telling them the truth and showing them what's going on in their lives and what they need to do. The very first step now is recognize your error, fellas. Recognize your error. But what did they do? They, they recognized their error because they perceived that he spake of them. Now the next thing would be, properly would be to repent. Eh? To repent, but they didn't do that. Repentance is a humbling thing from before God. And you just, here I am, Lord. This is, you don't bring anything. Here I am. Forgive me, my sins. Jesus saved my soul. However you want to put that from your heart before the Lord. But it's humbling. It's humbling. But they recognized what he was saying. In verse 46, they sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people because they thought Jesus was a prophet. Somebody said one time, you're doing something wrong, somebody comes and corrects you. 
and I, I don't know who said it, but it's pretty good advice, and it would apply here. Consider the whip, not the hand that's holding it. Mm-hmm. You need to consider, maybe there's something to this thing. Never mind, they were, they were focused on the hand holding the whip. The Lord Jesus whipping them here with his words. And they missed that. But I want to bring this out and stress this. The goodness of God. The goodness of God for him to stand there. To stand there and to teach them. We know how much time and effort the Lord Jesus takes and puts into teaching the people. And especially talking to and trying to correct his enemies. He speaks in parables to help them understand the seriousness of the position that they're lost without God. He's good, eh? I want to finish this by um, the Lord impressed this upon me this morning. I want to just tell you two little incidents. They're personal things. When we consider the goodness of God here, and two things happened. Major things to, in my life just happened. I just wanted to share it with you for a minute. Um, as we see the faithful heart and the goodness of Jesus Christ the Lord and telling his enemies the truth and such. Two accounts. I was working on somebody else's motorcycle and I had to put a particular switch and replace it and in order to do that, you got to take all kinds of stuff off and everything, and this stuff comes off over here, and this news. Well, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older and just getting dumber. Somebody, are, some are chuckling. <laughs> Either you know what I'm talking about, or you've seen it. <laughs> I dropped a nut in the washer. See, this is no big deal. It's just a little wee, little wee nut, little wee one, little wee washer. I dropped it, and I couldn't find it. I could not find it. There was a hole there, though, where that sensor came out. And when I took that out, it was like a little voice said, you should cover that. Who do you suppose that was? The Spirit of God, maybe. But I thought, nah, I need to do that. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, oh my, guess where that hole is? It's almost right below where that nut wash. Oh, I looked and located, looked and looked and looked. Oh, I've got to take this off, i got to take this off, i got to do this. I'm beside myself, uh-oh. Because what do you think is going to happen if you don't recover that thing, if it went down that hole and the guy starts his motorcycle, okay? Like, it's, it's not, the engine's not, and the transmission's not going to really be friendly to that nut. It's not going to work out. Oh, where did it go, where did it go? Do you ever get in that state where you're, oh, what have I done? It was horrible, it was awful, it was oh my. And Robin came out to help me, and we're looking, looking, I can't find it, looking on the bottom. It didn't hit the ground. Oh, nothing to do. Okay, that's it. I'm done for the day. Just leave it. Pray about it. We prayed about it. Robin prayed about it. I prayed about it. And that. And a new day I go out. Charge my flashlight went out. The Lord, Lord, I don't want to. I, I need to know where this went. I need to find it. Would you please? And I ask him often. For, can you let my eyes behold? Just to see it. So I go out. And get the flashlight. And it was like that little voice again. It says, we go around the other side and look right down through there. Way, 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 way down. The back of the engine goes way down, way at the bottom there. And guess what's down there? There's a nut. 
took me a long time to get it out. But at this point, this was so stressful, I was thinking, well, what have I done? But God's goodness, He showed me where it was, I got it out, and I cried, because God is so good. Mm -hmm. A verse came to me, and I don't know exactly how it is, but it's that, it's like the idea is, He shall call upon me in the time of trouble, and I will hear Him, and I will deliver Him. I got thinking, even in the little things, yep. Even in the little insignificant little nothing, I never did find the washer, by the way. But it wouldn't fit in the hole. If, 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 if it wouldn't have done it. The nut could have. But do you see the goodness of God in the most smallest of things? We so often think of God's goodness and God's going to help all the, uh, the big things. Everything, folks. Everything, everything. You take it to the Lord Jesus Christ and He'll help you. And I just shed tears because God is so good. He was, he's right there and helping with it. And then I heard something this morning, the other incident. There was a man who was ill, was local, and I had full intentions of going to see him. I remember writing it down. Do you ever get busy and forget things? I just learned that he died. I was told to go talk to him. And I didn't. I remember reading several times I've read through George Mueller's uh, journals. And at one point he said the one thing that bothered him most was his ingratitude towards God. Ingratitude? George Mueller? Yeah, because he's just a man. And at that moment, I was overcome with my ingratitude. I was overwhelmed. And God told me to do this, and I didn't do it. And the guy, he died. I don't know where he went. I don't think it was good. And I cried again. The first time I cried because God is so good. And the second time I cried because I am not. A soul is probably lost. Perhaps because I'm not taking my job as being a watchman serious enough. Other things get in the way. I'm blaming on old age, I just forgot. And those words in Ezekiel 33, verses 1 to 8, about the watchman, if you see the, if you see the, uh, uh, the calamity, what it was coming, you must warn the people, eh? The sword's coming, you must warn the people. You go read through that. God is good. The most important thing, we get busy with our lives, we get busy with what we think we know, we get busy with a hundred other things. And all she asks us is, would you take the gospel? Would you just share it with people? We've got tracks. We don't even have to say a word. I hope somebody else went there, that guy. The most important thing is go ye and preach the gospel. Don't neglect this. And you know something? God already knew it was going to happen there, didn't he? But he was right there and helped me with that silly little nut that I dropped when he knew what I had not done. Isn't he good?
Isn't God good? And He doesn't ask much from us. Just do that. I don't know, I'm shaking right now, and I've been shaking all morning, for the most part, just to think of God in, uh, ingratitude towards Him and neglect of something like that. I pray that the Lord would help me and I'd have uh, that boldness that I used to have. I used to have a boldness. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. But overall, we see God, we see Jesus Christ and His goodness speaking to these characters. Maybe there's characters around us that we don't want to talk to. We should go. Maybe God wants us to do something, talk to somebody. We need to do it for the parish. God is so good, and we find ourselves so ungrateful sometimes. But even that, let's take that to Him and say, Lord, this is all I am. Mm -hmm. That's all I am, Lord. We have a great God. We should serve Him. We've got so many things in our lives to take our minds off of Him. That's all some things for us to think about. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for your grace now, and we thank you for your goodness and your care for us, and that you're there for us, for the believers, for the sick, for the born-again Christian. Lord, you're there with us. You help us with everything. We bring things to you. You just help us. And you forgive us when we fail. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. We just want to thank you today for your goodness. And as we read through these parables that you were bringing to the chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes, Lord, we see your goodness. Bring the word to them, the truth. You set people free. And Lord, help us to get the truth out to people. Just to do what we can do, Lord. A cup of cold water. And we just want to thank you for your grace and your goodness. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for coming out, and thank you folks for watching. Lord bless you.